Alright, welcome to the fourth episode of Fruit Bowl Weekly's Horror Extravaganza. In today's episode, we participate in some mandatory team building exercises in Severance, and we fix up our own dream vacation homes and play some board games in Tucker and Dale vs Evil. As always, we will be talking, discussing and giving final thoughts on these films, and there will be heavy spoilers, so if you don't want these films spoiled, please watch them first before continuing. Now that the spoiler warning is done, grab a snack, pour a drink, and get comfy for today's episode of Fruit Bowl Weekly. Fruit Bowl Weekly and a can of coke. I'm Ramra, joined again by Kitchen. Howdy. To start it off on a fun, light-hearted, almost innocent note, I think it's best we start off with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. So, for a quick synopsis, two hillbilly folk basically spend all their life earnings on their own dream vacation home that they've wanted for their entire lives. But on their way up, they fix it up a tiny bit and come into contact with some college kids. One of them almost dies, they save her, and based on that one act, an entire misunderstanding happens, which ends up with the college kids basically killing themselves, and the main college kid, who's basically the villain of this film, having a one versus one battle against Dale. Doesn't it open up on a, um, a flashback? So it opens up with the scariest thing of all, which is found footage. Found footage is the scariest thing. Because it starts off with what is basically the months after the ending of the film, because what we see is a reporter reporting on the incident that happens at, like, the lumber mill, uh, which happens at the end for the final fight. The female reporter basically gets knocked out, and the cameraman is actually played by Eli Craig, the director of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Oh. And it basically starts off the film with him being hit on the head by a rock, and we get a look of this grotesque, burned, what we assume to be the main hillbilly villain. Yeah, he's a crispy boy, isn't he? He's a crispy boy. Then it just starts off with what you expect any horror film to start off with. A bunch of college kids talking about drinking and having parties and smoking weeds. All your typical horror stereotypes are present, including some arsehole called Chad, oh. who for some reason has an inhaler. Yeah, he's the he's the tough guy of the group who's also a bit of a psycho. It like from minute one, like the oh, minute yeah. he starts fucking talking, he's just got that cadence in his voice that's like he's clearly the real villain. He must be. You don't sound that much like a douchebag and not be the villain. But one of the things that Tucker and Dale vs Evil does best is that it is basically a subversion of the classic you know, hillbillies are evil trope. So you've got your, you know, your wrong turn, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, stuff like that in which they're always portrayed as, you know, cannibals and stuff like that. Yeah, this movie does make a lot of uh, use of tropes. The entire setting of the movie is an old run-down cabin in the middle of a woods that has a spooky story. And then you have all the college kids going out to get shit-faced and sleep with each other. The highlight of this film is just, even the characters you hate do a great job. Oh, wonderful job. Tucker, played by Alan Tudyk, and Dale Dobson, played by Tyler Labine. Dale, big, bubbly, kind-hearted, lovable teddy bear. And Tucker, straight-faced in a lot of things, always raises Dale's confidence. Honestly, just another kind-hearted guy. And that's the vibe that you get from both of these characters. Well, Tucker does have a little bit of a uh, an arsehole vibe to him. Yeah. He means well. He's the, you know, you don't have best friends unless you make fun of them kind of vibe. Yeah, he does. Chad, who is played by Jesse Moss, he is just a huge psychopath throughout this entire film. And he clashes so well with Dale and Tucker like, just the fact that this college kid who you expect to, you know, shit their pants the minute any death is on screen, he's just there with, like, the biggest fucking stiffy you've ever seen. Shaking with excitement. Just throwing axes, and all of his friends are just like, dude, you've got to fucking chill out. 
I smell hillbilly on ya. <laughs> and then you get fucking contrasted with the two hillbilly characters that you actually get, and they've moved into what is clearly a fucking murder cabin. Oh, it's got like bone lamps and shit. And they're like, oh, the last person who was here must have just been an archaeologist. And there's pictures of, like, (laughs) kidnapped murder victims. And they're like, you get two hot dogs for the price of three. (laughs) No expiration date. They just leave all these news trimmings up as well. They don't touch any of them. (laughs) They're too busy trying to fix the place up to care about the walls for now. But they are just the kindest duo. (laughs) So wholesome. It's just two bros hanging out. Yeah, just going fishing, even though one doesn't like fishing, he does it because he's a bro. (laughs) Fucking board games are there, which I'm sure they would have loved to play if they actually got the time to. Well, (laughs) I think Dale does get one game in. Oh, he does. Yeah, he does. And that leads to some uh, shenanigans later on. Oh, fuck's sake. Like, it's just those three characters, even though you do have the classic love interest... Just those three in general, like the straight-laced, you know, probably the rich one who's got this education, is the biggest dick. Yeah, he is literally the biggest Chad. And it's just every time he tries to say something tough or act tough, he always has to take a puff of his asthma inhaler afterwards. And fucking guy shakes it like a madman as well before he takes a puff of that. He does. Like he's popping pills. Madman. (laughs) You also have Alison, who is played by Katrina Bolden. She is the main love interest. So she is the one that captures the eye of lovable Dale. Um, She's also the one that, because she's learning psychology, or she's becoming a therapist, she's doing something along those lines at college, she is the one that tries to actually resolve all of this just through talking. Yeah, she does try and do some damage control nearer the end, where she, for some reason, during this scene where people are dying, houses are being stormed, people are being held at, like, knife point and gunpoint, she's just, everyone sit down, let's talk about our feelings. <laughs> but she's also the character that, granted, she was undressing, because, you know, it's a horror stereotype that nearly all women have got to be naked or it's close to it. But she's getting undressed, but she also sees Tucker and Dale, because, you know, it's technically their lake. And she fucking screams, falls, and just bangs her head, almost dies. (laughs) But that is the action that sets the whole movie in motion, isn't it? Yeah. There are a few scenes before where the group of kids and Tucker and Dale just kept running into each other in awkward situations. The first time they see each other is when they're driving to, like, a gas station. And they catch a glimpse of Tucker and Dale just staring at them through the car window. <laughs> and obviously, you, you know what Dale was thinking. <laughs> he's he's starstruck. He's in love, that guy. Probably thinking like his heart's being Looney Tunes or something, just almost <laughs> beating out of his chest. And Tucker's probably thinking like, nice wheels or look at those fancy college kids. Tucker seems the most against them, doesn't he? He doesn't like the idea of the fancy college kid coming down and ruining their, their good old times. No, and to be fair, he's not, he's he not called it. That. <laughs> he definitely yeah. called it. But the characters make this film, but it's one of those in which they also don't half ass any of the actual deaths that happen. Every death is unique and cool. You also get this thing where, even though mainly Tucker, if I'm honest, is doing something that a classic horror trope would do, like he's chasing after someone with a chainsaw, let's say. Screaming. (laughs) You know, and fucking he's holding someone's legs in a wood chipper, and people see that from the outside, it's like, motherfuckers just wood chipped a guy. Damn, savage. But... The thing that this film does that's just amazing, in my opinion, is the fact that every single death is just an accident. It's all just crazy happenstance. And I love how they've portrayed these deaths through these scenarios. (laughs) And the kid who spears himself. Oh, I don't know how fast he was running. It could have been the next Flash, for all I know. (laughs) But that motherfucker impales himself almost halfway down this huge fucking... Like, just this branch that's almost the thickness of a full tree itself. And it's because he was running away from Tucker, who was running because he's being stung by bees. Yeah, he accidentally saw through a beehive. (laughs) 
And it's like, okay, so in a way, if you're looking from the outside, sure, you could technically say that maybe Tucker did kill him. But when you actually see the scene and you're just like, <laughs> this motherfucker's running, he's not looking where he's going, and he must have been running the speed of sound because he just thwacks right into it. And I love that that death isn't shown to the college characters for a while. Yeah. Because there are multiple deaths that happen after that. That is the first real kill isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. But that's one of the last ones the college kids see. And I think it's great how it comes around and they end up catching the dude who went missing ages ago. Oh, just fucking... It's it's so good. Because you have Dale closer to the end, he's digging a shitter or an outhouse. And just fucking this one kid runs at him with like this tiny little fucking bread knife. I think what you're referring to is the uh, wooden spear the guy made. He carved oh, a very crude wooden it, spear. Yeah. And um, Dale um, is digging a hole for a shitter. Yep. And Ali decided to help him. <laughs> now the kid's thinking he's making her dig his own oh grave. because He's just yes. watching over <laughs> her. Get enraged. <laughs> and decide to hunt these hillbillies like, there and then. Oh. And it's just... <laughs> the kids are so useless. Because there's no, there's no other possible reason. Why she would no. be helping him. Well, no, they're hillbillies. <laughs> they're, they're crazy hillbillies. You can't trust them. He clearly just went, here's your shovel, dig your grave. And they're like, oh God, we've got to save her. But when you send, you know, literally the clumsiest guy in the fucking universe to save someone, trips over his own shoelaces and imp- <laughs> another impaled death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Dale, I think Dale was underneath screaming. Oh, yeah. He, he's never seen something so terrible in his life. Like, it's like, oh my god, are you, are you okay? As he's just fucking spurting from the mouth onto Dale. He's like, oh god, oh god, no, stop. <laughs> and fucking Tucker gets traumatised in this same scene as another kid tries to run and stab him in the back. And even though I absolutely love that kill, this is where it kind of just doesn't make sense to me. Because he's running right at Tucker with the intent to just fucking stab him right in the back. But he doesn't just run up and try to stab him. He fucking lunge jumps right at him. Yeah, I think the way that was meant to be shown is um, this is in front of the wood chipper. Yeah. And Tucker's loading logs or wood into this wood chipper. And as he does so, he bends down to grab the next log. So it seems as if the kid was running and gunning for this dude with this knife, too fast to slow himself down in time. And as Tucker bent over, the kid ends up just flying over him. Yeah. Because he can't slow himself down. So he ends up like tripping on the lower half of Tucker's body into the wood chipper. <laughs> I just love the way he's, he reacts. He's turned around. It's like, oh my God. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then after, you know, he's been in there for five minutes, it's like, are you okay? I've seen this movie before, but it's at moments like that where I, I remember just how amazing this movie is. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's such a joy. Tucker and Dale end up meeting back inside the vacation home. And then, like, some kid just threw himself into the wood chamber. And another one, in, <laughs> my kid impaled himself in the shit. It's Must suicide, be a suicide pact. pact. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. <laughs> that exchange itself is hilarious. <laughs> oh. And then they, they try and clean the kid out of the wood chipper. <laughs> oh, oh fuck's sake. And some tiny little things come back that you probably expect to get a kill. Like at the beginning, Dale saves Tucker from being spiked in the head by this plank that's got nails in it that falls down. Yep. And he warns Ali to avoid leaning on the pole. And, and it's like, this cop ends up coming in because of course he fucking would. Yeah, at the, at the beginning, one of the kids runs off with his car to get help. And then later yes. on, he shows up with the cop. He's been told, our friends are dying. He ends up coming out and seeing Tucker and Dale carting off half a body. <laughs> How chill is that cop? <laughs> he just sees half a body in front of him. He's like, what you up to, guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want me to come inside? Yeah, let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they go, oh yeah, we've got another girl inside who's knocked out, but she can explain everything. And he's like, well, I best come inside and get the full story then, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't arrest them first or anything. Doesn't warn them really. I think he does get his gun out to begin with. He just puts it away. He's like, "All right, fucking chillest <laughs> dude," and he just fucking like I didn't realize how big the nails were. Oh, they were massive. 
the nails in that plank are ridiculously huge. Coming through multiple parts of his skull. And the fact that he manages to walk to his car, pick up the radio thing, and then fall down dead, it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> He's been lobotomized by a plank and rusty nails. <laughs> I did enjoy when he picked up the radio and just spoke gibberish into it. Just the kids on the outside are like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. And then you get Tucker's sick Metal Gear Solid rescue mission. <laughs> to save his dog. To get Dale's lovable companion, Jangas. What a good boy. Tucker gets so shafted. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he is the one who paid for the vacation home. He is. And he brought Dale along as a friend to help do it up and, like, just have some bro time with beers and fishing, you know? Yeah. But he gets his fingers chopped off, he gets shot at, he gets hung from a tree. <laughs> it's, it's, in the end, spoilers, in the end... His entire vacation home gets burnt to shreds, like burnt to ashes. Like, he does not get a break. He <laughs> this doesn't... poor guy. Oh, fuck's sake. They do manage to find most of his fingers. Most. Oh, they of find them. some lovely new fingers for him. <laughs> like, the closest thing Dale gets to actually, you know, being brutally injured is that he almost gets his fucking dick impaled by a spike. Almost, yeah. <laughs> I did like the moment where they're running from the college kids and it's the reverse of a slasher movie. Yeah. Where the hillbillies are hiding in fear of the college kids. <laughs> and his fucking attempt at just covering himself in, like, <laughs> leaves and mud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very, like, a very tropey run and hide as well, but it was in reverse. And it's just, like, just him, like, stumbling over his, like, fucking college kids are wild. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love the fact that when he's hanging from being caught in this trap, his bargaining tool is I've got a full, you know, cooler full of beers. They're Still all cold. yours if yeah. you just take them and go. It's like, man, high priorities. What else has he got? <laughs> That'd work on him, probably. Oh, but the rest of the kids towards the end of the film... I feel they rushed to get killed. Yeah, I feel like the cast of children was a bit too large. Yeah. So maybe they just had them there as extra kills in the back pocket. But in the end, they realised they had too many people left, so they just got rid of them. I did like the uh, death by fire, though. That was good. Um, where Chad ends up getting a kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Because it's one of those in which this one in a way, was kind of an accident, but also it was done by Chad, so I'm going to say, yeah. no, it wasn't. Well, it, he didn't mean to kill her. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So they've just had this meeting. Like, Ali's sat Chad down. She's sat Dale down. Tucker's in the room, but Tucker's fucking pissed at this point. He doesn't give a shit. And Dale's, like, you know, just said his piece. His weight has been lifted. He's loving it. He's like, well done, Ali. And then Chad's like, did you know... And my family got, like, raped and killed by hillbillies, but my mother survived and gave birth to me, and now she's in, like, a mental institute or something like that. And Dale's like, that's got, that's got nothing to do with me. You know, it's at this moment when you realise, yeah, Chad, nobody cares but you. He's holding a vendetta on something that happened in the past, and, you know, it happened so far in the past, they w would have been dead from old age anyway. Probably. Once the other two kids that have somehow managed to survive burst through the door being like, we've come to save you! Chad fucking table flips, throws a lamp, sets one of his friends on fire. <laughs> the last remaining girl other than Allison is just like, hey, water, moonshine. Moonshine. <laughs> and then she smokes, sat next to, you know, an Acme TNT pile. <laughs> And it's fucking ridiculous, because the house explodes, Tucker and Dale and Allison get out, Chad, you know, performs an Indiana Jones and protects himself from an explosion with a door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when, they're, when they're jumping from the explosion as well, Dale just straight up kicks Ali in the head while jumping. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been a mistake, but it's still hilarious they kept it in. Oh, fuck's sake. But yeah, two-faced up. The fucking two-faced Batman villain comes up with a scream. Like, he kicks the door off and he's just like, you know, just fucking screaming his lungs out. And they're Absolutely like... Absolutely livid. We've, we've got to... We're, we're going to get out of here. Bye, Chad. You can have the vacation home, Chad. I think I'm done with it at this point. 
<laughs> it's just ashes, you know? Oh, uh, I'm fucking Tucker's last pride and joy. His truck gets demolished because Dale drives it into a tree. <sighs> yep. And Allison gets kidnapped by Chad, and Dale goes full murderous hillbilly, even says something like that as a line. It's like, if you want to kill a hillbilly, I'll become one for you. Like, when he gets all suited and booted with, like, knives in his boots and fucking, you know, a chainsaw and he's got the welding helmet on, he still enters the room. He's like, oh my god, Ali, oh god, let me, let me help. <laughs> Ali <Let> screams <laughs> in terror and he's like, no, no, it's me, it's me, it's okay. <laughs> it's me, it's me, oh god, did I scare you? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And then he's like, oh, so it's intimidating then because I thought I could just scare him away. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's well, intimidating. At, at this moment, Ali is on some weird, like, James Bond villain tied up hostage situation <laughs> on like a freaking table saw lumber mill oh my god and, she, and she's like look dale we'll talk about this once you've saved me <laughs> but that has to come first please what was with the pipe versus chainsaw fight as well would it work like that oh to be fair i was watching that and i'm pretty sure that chainsaw would have cut through the pipe i don't know <laughs> if it would have been immediate but there's no way pipe beats chainsaw no that's nonsense. But Chad does go, like, super crazy. Even Dale's like, that's one tough kid or something. So <laughs> yeah. like, where'd he get that strength from? Demonic powers. Fucking getting half your face burnt. Apparently, super strength. Who'd have guessed? But it turns out Chad's dad was actually one of the murderous hillbillies from the flashback that we saw, which makes Chad a hillbilly. Well, makes him half of one, makes apparently. Him half. As if they're not human. Or, like, if they're a separate race. <laughs> so he realises he's half hillbilly and half crispy, so he goes in a bit of a cry, has a bit of a cry. Yeah, it's like, no, that can't be Which leaves him true. open to uh, Dale's justice. <laughs> and he gets, was it, what was it, chamomile dust or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's stated um, earlier when they're having the sit-down talk that I think it's chamomile makes um, Chad's asthma act yeah. up. Something like that. So remembering this, Dale chucks a pot. There was just just sitting there like a box of loose chamomile tea at the dude's face. Once again, Dale didn't kill him. Dale didn't kill this guy. He just fo- coughs and falls out of a window, doesn't he? He's coughing. He's like, you know, <gasps> you know, doing his classic, you know, asthma attack type of thing. Just falls out of a window. And the weird thing is, is that then it cuts to what we basically see is like a few months after. And then we get the news reporters that we see outside of the lumber mill. Right at the yep. beginning. Which means, technically, Dale didn't even kill him at all. No, Dale didn't kill him, no. And the news report is corroborating the story that we just saw of Tucker and Dale. Like, just a series of unfortunate accidents. College kids killing themselves. Why are they doing this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These poor hillbillies are mortified. And I'd just like to think that ending slash beginning bit with the reporters is like the start of what would have been a like a hillbilly massacre type of film like chad is now the star of his own like texas chainsaw massacre type of film and you know dale and tucker are just you know one's in hospital the other one's living life up bowling with his new gf do you know when they found out that um chad was half hillbilly when they read the newspapers yeah did you didn't you find it weird how the newspaper showing the capture of those previous killer hillbillies that raped um chad's mother yeah. The news article for that, the newspaper for that, was inside that hillbilly's hideout? Why would that be there? Because they would have been arrested before that was published. Yeah, like how would it be in his hideout if he's in jail? <laughs> with all of the old what with all of the old hillbilly stuff inside the old lumber mill, yeah. Oh no. That sounds like a plot hole. <laughs> I also love the fact that when you have a look at the picture of his dad, it's clearly just the same actor in a wig and, like, a different costume. (laughs) Yeah, but it works, because they do look familiar. (laughs) But, yeah, then it cuts to the future. Tucker's got a couple of new lovely fingers, freshly manicured fingers. Dale's at a bowling alley on a date with Allison, bringing their good old friend BJ with them. And BJ just goes straight up caveman on some chick in the background, whops around the head and drags her away, as Killer Hillbilly would. And everyone's just watching. And I'm not just yeah. talking about Dale and Allison, like, you know, even the bowling alley person, like the owner, he's just watching. Granted, the group runs away, but there's also, like, some guy just drinking in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just another day at the alley. Just another day, you know, let BJ do what he wants. 
you know. <laughs> well, you're going to tell him to stop. I don't want to mess with him. <laughs> As he's just with this fucking lovely grin he's got on his face. He's just like, yeah, I will be myself, Dale. Thank you. <laughs> Thunk. Wrong person to give that advice to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's just this this entire film is just it's such an amazing story. Like Tucker and Dale are funny as fuck. But you can also tell that they clearly have a bromance going on. Like, I believe the actual actors, uh, Tyler and Alan, even spent overtime when filming staying in character because they wanted to (laughs) understand how these characters would interact and develop them a little more. And I think that really comes across in this film, just as a test. What, they go noodling or something? But you have the rest of the college kids, which in my opinion are literally just there to fill their stereotypical roles. But you also have the accidental deaths, which is an amazing concept that they've done for this film. The movie was incredibly well written in regards to those deaths. Yeah. It's the way everything worked. Yeah, just everything pieced together real well. The interactions, you know, between all the characters worked. The actors were perfect, I thought, on point. The way the deaths were written, it's just... The whole movie is just almost a masterpiece in construction, and it uses tropes in a new and just fundamentally different way. Moving on to Severance, and I read Severance as a bunch of, you know, business people go to the forest for team building exercises, they start to realise that the forest is trapped, kitted with bear traps, mines, spike pits, all that stuff, and what you find out is that there's this sort of terrorist group that was funded or was attacked using weapons from the company that they work for and by the end it's the typical scenario of the main lead lives and the main female lead lives and they row off into a river uh, in like a rowboat with two uh prostitutes escorts Escorts, yeah and based on that I went in just being like, okay, so it's just going to be another by the numbers thing, you know, people will be cliched to the max, they'll be picked off one by one, and then the final girl will get the kill and they'll all live happily ever after. But I was surprised to see that there's actually quite a lot of depth into the characters that you find in this film. Surprisingly. We have Laura Harris, who plays Maggie. And she's basically the stereotypical hot one of the office. Like, she's still smart, (laughs) she's still intelligent, but most of the people in this film only really view her for her looks. And I don't know why. No (laughs) offence to uh, Laura Harris, but I don't understand why everybody was only interested in Maggie. Yeah. It feels a bit forced, in my opinion. It felt a bit, like, almost predatory in a way. Yeah, was it because she was the only American lady? That might have been I mean, it as that well. is why. I mean, that is the reason she survived. I think is because of firearms training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she works for yeah. a uh, weapons company, so you would expect her to know how to use them. We then have Jill, played by Claudie Blakely. So she plays, I guess, HR, maybe. And the only reason I say this is just because she makes a bunch of comments about you know equal rights and the fact that in this advertisement they post at the beginning they sexualize the women and that most of the people in this are white blonde as well blonde and white she asks where the person of color is turns out he's on the he's on the advert but he's the only guy shooting with a gun <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have billy who is just a fucking hero in this film i'm just gonna say that he is the film if you ask me maybe not so much in acting talent or anything but his character He is the backbone of the entire group. And he's played by, I'm going to butcher this, I think it's Babo Cisse? Babo Cisse? Something like that? Sure, go with it. I don't know the actual pronunciation either. Um, But he basically plays the second in command. So he's basically like the assistant to the main manager. He's totally the one in control though. No, he's not. What do you mean, no, he's not? He's the one who tells everybody what's going on and how to deal with it. Yeah, but I mean... Boss doesn't, the boss doesn't know what he's doing. No. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for Billy. <laughs> no, that's true. He's fucking, is absolutely clueless. And that clueless manager's name is Richard, played by Tim McInery. And yeah, as we just stated, <laughs> he is the classic dumbass 
boss who only really follows procedure just because he wants to ask kiss and just sits there eating his his fucking cheese wheel by himself just being like no (laughs) we're gonna walk however many fucking miles to get to this random thing i'm not wrong i'm never wrong i'm never wrong if you disobey me you're fired but you know, despite how hard Richard tries, there's one character that does not give two shits about him at all, and that character is Harris, played by Toby Stevens. Now, Harris is a character that just does not develop at all throughout this entire story. He starts an asshole and he ends an asshole. Yeah, doesn't put up with any of Dick Richard's bullshit, though. No. Which is he nice, because he's the only one that really talks back. Yeah. Like, he's the only one that clearly shows, like, dismay and disdain for the situation. He's like, clearly this is a shithole, Richard. Are you going to fix this? I mean, his answer's no. The others are kind of sarcastic and made snide comments, mostly at the beginning. But Harris is the only one that really speaks back and just speaks his mind, asserts some form of dominance. Yeah. But he is just an arsehole. We then have Garden, played by Andy Nyman. Such an enjoyable character. (laughs) He's so, like, nice and innocent in a way, and he's always friendly oh. and carries everything in his backpack. Well, I, I, isn't he the um, first aider as he well is. as a member of the company? So he's he's got everything in his he's handy got, little backpack. It's like Dora the Explorer. Everything. Just as wholesome as well. Oh, just like Tucker, he gets the shaft. He's both Tucker and Dale, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's a combination of yeah. them both. Yeah, he gets the worst treatment. Of all the characters. Oh my but he's God. also the kindest and sweetest. And he just wants things done the correct way so no one gets hurt. Especially because <laughs> it's his responsibility to make sure. Oh. But they treat him like such garbo. They really do. And then as our final character from the main cast, we have Steve. Played by the Steve. lad's lad himself, Danny Dyer. And he plays Danny Dyer in the film. Yep, it's like Shaggy. If Shaggy were a yobbo. He plays what you expect. Sex fiend, inappropriate jokes. A lad's lad. You know, it's either women, sex, violence, or drugs with him. And yeah. I'm not a fan of that type of character. And, no. you know, just Danny always gets typecast as this sort of character, which is a shame. Yeah. But I will add that during some of the sequences where he's kind of high or tripping, they are so expertly crafted <laughs> that... It- blew me away that it would be in a movie like this he fucking he's still high as fuck but they do this awesome bit where like he's still sat on the couch but then another version of him that we follow gets up and looks back to him sat on the couch and you have him looking at himself then he walks out and as we get out back into the forest he looks at himself again stood at a a tree (laughs) fucking smoking and, you know, they're like, you know, what you're looking at, what you're looking at. And then as the rest of the people come out, he's just stood there smoking a cigarette at the tree. And it's like yeah. that whole sequence is so good. It's amazing. It's one of the things that shocked me that I've seen that good is in a film probably barely anyone's watched. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's too good. <laughs> for the movie it's really insane like it really is you have to watch it just for that if, if you're in like if you're into good like cinematography art direction that sort of thing to watch something as perfectly crafted as this even though it's a short-lived scene in a movie like this it's it's a shame it doesn't get more notice like with the characters as well billy is a great example of a amazing character and we've already hyped him up so let's just keep going with that train <laughs> Because he starts off as the pushover, you know, Richard says something, you know, Richard says jump, Billy says hell high. But then once shit starts going down, Billy's like, no, Richard, fuck you, right? We're going to go back to the shack, we're going to bunker down, we're going to board up windows, doors, we're going to stay safe and wait for morning. (laughs) Because of his actual role in the company... He is the glue that holds everyone together. He's the one who keeps the schedules. He's the one who, like, knows the maps and helps the team work together. Yeah. Because the boss would give an order. No one gives a shit about Richard. No one gives a shit about Richard. <laughs> listen to him. But if Billy mentions it, it seems like everyone will listen. Especially when it comes to the map as well, where, you know, Billy was constantly saying, 
No, I don't. I don't think you're right. I don't think you're right. <laughs> I don't you know, think you're right. Richard didn't give a shit, and then later on, Richard's like, "Billy, um, uh, so what was it again?" So <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's obviously like the the mummy of the group. <laughs> to me, Billy has the second saddest death, very close to the first, but oh yeah, the way Billy dies is just—it's one of those where you think he lives. But it like slowly pans out and he's just got this giant wound in his chest. And the thing is, is that someone else is with him. And as we're watching, we realise that they don't know either. Yeah. And it's like the minute we see the wound, they see the wound. And the one that's with him is uh, Maggie. And it's like the minute we both, like us as the viewer and Maggie see the wound, we both want to go, you know, fucking, no, Billy, no, stop. We can save What a hero. And, and Billy's just like holding his hand over her mouth because she clearly wants to scream. And he's just like, no, it's okay. It's okay, friend. Well, isn't it so she doesn't accidentally alert the killer to their presence? Even in his final act, while he was dying... He thought more about the team than himself. Yeah. What a hero. Best character. Well, Gordon's also the best character, but for different reasons. So I guess they can share the podium. <laughs> now, it could also be said that maybe Billy went the extra mile just for Maggie. Like, maybe the scene might have been a tiny bit different if it was, you know, Steve or Richard or someone else that was with him. Yeah, he, he does mention that he does have a thing for Maggie, but who doesn't in this movie? But it's just the fact that, he, like, that scene didn't need to exist. I feel like that if this was any other film, he would have, you know, we all would have noticed him being shot, and then he would have just flopped down dead, and she probably would have screamed. Yeah. Well, if you're an eagle-eyed viewer, you would see that in the scene before, when he does get shot, there's a delay in his reaction on getting away from the shotgun blast. Yeah. When I first saw that, I thought, oh, there's a bit of a mistake there, because he should have been shot. And a lot of the times, that would be correct. Apparently, no. This movie knows that you would think that because he was actually shot. He was. And there are tons of moments in this movie which, where it sort of builds up your expectations, you know? You think this is going to happen because that's what you're so used to. Yet, bam. Changes. 180. Completely different. It almost subverts them. Similar to how Tucker and Dale subverts like the whole horror genre. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a moment with a spider. Yeah. So there's a moment where Jill, like, wakes up. Isn't it where she wakes up? And she yes. goes to do something. And you see, for like a good few minutes, this humongous spider crawling up her back. And you think, oh damn, she's gonna, she's gonna scream, she's gonna get got, that's how these things play out. No, she sees it in the mirror, she's like, oh, hello cutie, what are you doing? <laughs> what a lovely spider. <laughs> so it builds you up to wait for this, this scream, this big, like, blaring sting moment. It's like, oh, lovely spider. Then you let your guard down. Yeah. And she looks out the window and there's a peeper. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking tree stalker, man. Just the fact that they played with the fact that, yes, every single horror film that probably includes a spider has a female screaming at a spider. But we're not going to do that, because that's lame as fuck. That scene is also where you get introduced to the true MVP, which is that one fucking plank. <laughs> <laughs> that one plank of wood that Jill steps on, nearly falls through. Someone else fucking steps on it. And nearly falls through. And then it saves someone from one of the terrorists because they actually fall I through fall it. fall through it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, <laughs> why not? Oh, but just going on the high train of just great characters. We've mentioned him already, Gordon. Gordon only has one character flaw, and that's being too nice. That and baking random pies he finds in random houses. <laughs> Because he, he does bake them what we assume is a human pie, accidentally. <laughs> Bakes the truest finger food. <laughs> nice. Getting that long pig in the oven. <laughs> but it's like, you get introduced to him as, right, okay, so maybe it's going to be the annoyingly positive one. You know, maybe it's going to be positive to the point where it's like, all right, just shut the fuck up, mate, try again. But... It's the fact that he's clearly nice, but he clearly likes to have fun in a weird, childish way. Oh, yeah. It's like he may have some sort of um, diagnosed, you know, conditions. Yeah. But he's so lovable. He really is. Like, he's like, I found this pie, He's a everyone. punching bag, though. <laughs> he bounces on this diving board, 
jank-looking diving board. I've heard the whole thing. You see him bouncing, and he is... Oh, he is having the time of his life. Like, the actor does such a good job of just <laughs> glee. <laughs> Building up suspense as well in some ways and subverting you because you think you think he's going to fall into that. No, just cuts away and he's happy as a clam, you know? And, he, and technically, he does fall into it. Yeah, he does because he, he appears with like leaves all over him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like quietly, I'm going to go shower. <laughs> I'm going to go shower, change of clothes, but I'll, I'll be ready for the next event, boss. Yeah, the, isn't that the pie? <laughs> Oh my god. And the fucking, just when he gets shot with paint balls and he's like, stop it! Stop it! That's dangerous! Stop! It hurts, you know! <laughs> it, it hurts! And it's like, even when you see him like going, it hurts, that's dangerous, you shouldn't do it, you're like, oh, Garden, I agree, mate, they shouldn't have done that. And then instant bear instant trap! Instant bear trap. And that poor guy. They try so hard to get him out of that bear trap, but miss. They, they re-clamp it about three times, oh, just slams God. back on his ankle. Just right through the shin. That scene was kind of painful. Oh, that was hard to watch. That went on a little bit too long, if you ask me. Once or twice would have been fine, but it felt like forever. It did feel like it just went on for a long time. When they pry open a bit, you're like, right, so just lift him up, drag the, drag the leg away, and then it clamps back shut, and it's like, no. Why? Yeah. And each time you can sort of hear like bone crunching or like slapping of flesh and blood. And then after a few clamps from that fucking bear trap, his foot does eventually fall off. It does, yeah. It eventually just comes off. (laughs) (laughs) They still try, you know, they're like, look, if we could get to a hospital, it could just be reattached. And I will admit that I did enjoy the fridge scene. Yeah, I like that too. Of, him, of fucking Steve. Yeah. Just fucking... Steve. Steve. Just fucking being like, I want to keep the stuff in the fridge, but the foot's not going to fit. But the beers. So I actually thought he was going to leave the foot. Yeah. Because with the character that they set up, it seemed like he'd care more about getting pissed than he would trying to put his friend's foot back on him. Yeah, and that's the beginning, really, of the of what I was talking about. The development into a slightly different style of character. Yeah. Like, he totally still does fit the mould. It is fairly typecasting, very typical for Danny Dyer to be in this situation. Yeah. But yeah, there, he does end up changing slightly throughout the movie and becomes more supportive of the team and the group. Yeah. And yeah, when he has to like remove the goddamn shoe and sock off the nasty foot. Oh god, yeah. It just he, he plays that real well. Him actually having to just declothe the foot. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, yes, it makes sense. Well, I don't think the sock makes sense. The shoe certainly does. Hey, you know what? I've got to get those inches. The sock centimeters. would help the foot get in. <laughs> oh, but he just gets shafted garden so badly. They get back to the shack and he's sat on the floor and he's clearly bleeding out because none of them except for Garden have first aid experience. So Steve does what he thinks is best. In his infinite wisdom. <laughs> if we just if we give him, you know, some drugs, it'll at least chill him out. Just give him some E. Just give him some E. And, you know, Garden's like, I don't do drugs. And it's like, nah, mate, it's, uh, it's paracetamol. It'll be fine. Painkillers, yeah. It's painkillers. And he fucking texts it, and they're immediately like, do you have a downer, please? Oh, God. Garden won't stop telling me that he loves me. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And then, just to top off Garden's, you know, lovely roller coaster of just being shafted, he gets dragged away somehow silently when Maggie and Steve are in the same room. And he gets the fucking business that they work for logo carved into his stomach. Yeah. Well, and he dies there, doesn't he, as well? Uh, Yeah. Poor Gordon. Poor Gordon! This is where you find out as well. Before this, there's been this mysterious masked figure, like, in the background, looming in the forest and slowly taking people out. Yeah. It's not until this moment, until you realise, that there are multiple people. Because this guy is in the basement, he comes from the basement, drags Gordon into the basement, he doesn't have the mask or the same get-up as the other guy, he's very different looking, so you would assume he was another person. And yeah. it turns out he is part of this humongous group, this sort of <laughs> like <laughs> like military squad. Just fucking they end up killing the masked guy, God, because that motherfucker got, you know, two deaths of the two best characters, and I'm like that is yeah. that is a sin in itself. 
But, you know, floorboard MVP comes in a clutch, knocks him down to the first floor. Fucking, is it Steve or was it Maggie? But one of them blows a chunk out of his skull. No, I think it's Maggie. I think it's Maggie, yeah. Steve doesn't really know what to do with himself once the guy's caught out. Yeah. And Maggie just blasts him. And at this point, you know, it's one of those vibes that you get, or those feelings, where you're like, okay... So this is the end of the film. And then you check and there's still like 30, 35 minutes left. It's like, yeah. Uh, and then they step outside and like 20 of them. <laughs> 20 of them are there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> How's the Scooby gang going to get out of this one? Because <laughs> that technically references a earlier scene as well. Like this whole terrorist faction. Because there's an earlier scene in which they have a theory crafting session, technically. Yeah, conspiracy theory crafting session. I'm not gonna lie, second best scene in my opinion. Only because I loved the fact that they genuinely recorded or had like reenactments of these three theories that they've got. And like the first one, Harris is like, oh, well, there was like. Uh, something that happened and they made like a black and white soundless film about it and then it cuts to you know him telling the story and it's in a black and white soundless film format and words come (laughs) up and I'm like wow yeah the the production value of many of the scenes in this movie is incredible for what the movie is yeah like for what you'd expect from this genre not the movie as a whole but what you'd expect from this genre you don't expect this quality no, you wouldn't. And it, it's really unexpected, like a lot of this film. It's one of those where it really is by the books when you look at it front cover. Like, if you see it, you just go, you know, classic horror garbage. But there's just a decent, like, good production value. There's a lot of stuff that just genuinely surprises you. Like, you mm. have this rocket launcher bit towards the end... And, you know, this fucking guy's like, you know, yeah, America. He fucking shoots the rocket and kills thousands of people on a plane. Yeah, (laughs) he inadvertently shoots an anti-aircraft missile. (laughs) It just takes out a random plane. It's like, and he's like, I've always wanted to try this out. Die! And it just goes up and it's like, yeah, that's expected. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) wow, biggest kill-death ratio. If he does make a lot of unexpected turns in what you think will happen all through the movie. I'd say that the first 40-45 minutes are extremely enjoyable, but the ending as it gets just closer and closer to like the owner of the company, as it gets closer to them revisiting the intro scene, because it also does Mm. like a Tucker and Dale intro scene in which it actually shows the business owner running away and you see the two escorts in the pit and then as the business owner dies it cuts away and the film starts but yeah and you think that might have been a flashback but once again no nope check tester but as it gets closer to the end and we have less and less characters and we're stuck just seeing like maggie richard and steve towards the end it just i kind of just dropped off towards the end if i'm honest yeah, it really drags on when it starts getting into that end sequence. Especially um, the scene where Maggie runs into the military outpost from that point onward. There's yeah. a point where I phased out. And then there's that weird fight, really long fight scene where some dude gets a knife in his ass. Oh, God, yeah. That that drags on way too long. And that's also matched with Maggie's extremely long fight as well, because those two take place at the same time. Well, wasn't it attempted rape for Maggie? It was. Because once again, just for some reason, everyone wants some of Maggie. That's it. Like, the terrorists will drop their agenda just to get, just to have their way with Maggie, apparently. <laughs> it's like, at this point, why have weapons? Just clone her, if that's all it takes. And what did they do to the other lady? Tied her to a tree and hit her with a flamethrower? <laughs> just yeah. burned her a stake. Why should she get that treatment? No, that's true. Fucking granted, though, with that flamethrower death, sick killer sofa reference, kind of. (laughs) With a match. (laughs) But yeah, the fucking light in the match, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and you think, you know, ha ha, funny times, it's over, he's not going to be able to do anything. Bends around, flamethrower. (laughs) 
He was just pissing about. <laughs> he was just pissing about. Another one of those moments you think, ah, oh, silly match guy, it's not going to happen. Flamethrower. <laughs> the beheading was good as well. That's it. Harris makes a quote saying like, no, the guillotine is actually quite torturous. Oh, yeah, when talking about humane landmines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck's <laughs> sake. And he's like, no, your brain's alive for two minutes or something when your head gets cut off. So if you think about it, she saw her body just spurting the blood onto her own face. And it's like, all right, Harris. Uh, you know, bit graphic there, mate. Chill out. And, uh, his death comes round, straight up beheading, and he does yeah. for his last moments in his while his brain's still active, just a, a lovely grin. He's like, "Yes, I was correct." The shit eating, I told you so. Grin. Yep. Like knew it, knew it. <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> Oh, and fucking, to be fair, Jill did see Harris on the floor, but she was fucking... Oh, oh. she was out of her mind. Yeah, she just looked at him and went, oh, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> fucking turned all fucking Tommy was out on him. Like, oh, hi. <laughs> That's what brain damage does to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But the first 40, 45 minutes is great. It's all fun, enjoyable, and honestly really interesting to watch these characters just evolve and sort of learn yeah. from their mistakes and just become new people. But once you get towards the end, the only three people you have left are Richard, Steve, and Maggie. Yeah, and Richard pissed off. He ran off earlier, prior to this. Like a real British politician. <laughs> once the ship starts sinking, he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. There's no there's no sinking with the ship, Captain Air. No chance. Nope. But, you know, karma strikes in amazing ways. Because the minute he starts to run away and be like, fuck them, I can get away. I don't give a shit. Steps on a inhumane landmine. <laughs> <laughs> the type that explodes. The type that will leave a bit of Richard over there and a bit of Richard up in the tree. Nice. But he has sort of like a turnaround. Honestly, he didn't have a choice. Yeah, he sort of becomes an hero because he didn't have a, an, another way out. And, you know, he allows Maggie and Steve to, you know, continue on their way. He says, you know, follow my footsteps and then jump, which is a re relatively clever way of doing it, I guess. Yeah. And this is the scene right before they end up meeting the business manager and finding out that they were, in fact, staying at the wrong hotel. Shocker, I know. Richard <laughs> was wrong. Who'd have fucking guessed? But... It sort of flip-flops at this point. It's like, what's Richard doing? What's Steve and Maggie doing? And, you know, Richard ends up being hit by rocks with the terrorist. And he's like, you want to <laughs> fucking come over here? I'll step off this and you'll all explode. They just go up past trees. They, like, knock a tree yeah. down or there's a tree already falling down or something. And they go past... And he, I will admit, he has some of the best lines at that moment. It's like, oh yeah, just all line up. Just all, yeah, come on now, single file. Some classic, like, cynical <laughs> yeah, it's sarcasm. Like cynical asshole towards the end. <laughs> Once it gets further enough through, and, you know, I think he ends up seeing the two assholes that kept throwing rocks at him. He's like, yeah. I just fucking, I give up. And he steps off it. And it literally, like, two, three seconds, it stalls. And you yep. get this feeling, like, was it a dud? Is he going to run away? Does he have the time? Even he's thinking that. Like, the actor portrays that face of, oh, shit, I could have fucking ran. And then the minute you think that, no, just fucking everyone explodes. And I will say that that was a bit badly done, just because mm. I think you can see the part where it cuts... From because oh, obviously it turns into giblets. Well, not even that. Like you can see the minute where they clearly did a close up of Richard's face, so that they didn't have to show his whole body. But there's a bit mm. where you can clearly see that his body's gone when the landmine sets off. Oh no! Uh, it's it's very quick, so you have to sort of you know stop it to actually notice it. So I think if you're watching the film, it doesn't really impact it that much, but. There's definitely frames there in which before the explosion goes off, you can clearly see that there is no Richard there. So, such a shame that the movie would have a glaring error like that. Yeah, and fucking Maggie and Steve's bits just go on and on, and then they get the escorts involved, and they're there to be escorts. Haha, -ha, funny, funny joke. Yeah. 
Well, they're the heroes in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like actually. they were saved by the sex industry. That's that's the cutaway from this. Before you go on any <laughs> business trip, make sure you hire some escorts to meet you at the location. Because you it. never know, they might just save your life. They're your true exit strategy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, from any relationship. Oh fuck's sake! What? <laughs> oh Jesus! There's a fourth wall breaker as well that I forgot about around the 19, 20 minute mark. Oh god! When yeah. um. <laughs> I when Steve was... is high, he just turns to the camera. God, I forgot that there was actually a fourth wall break in this. It's very sudden, and it's only once, but it happened. Near the end of the movie, it does get quite lazy as well, because there's a part where they're running through the forest. I think it's Maggie when she's by herself. Yeah. And she runs. Then the camera does a sudden cut for no reason, because it's still her running. Yeah. It's now slightly more zoomed in, but it's a lot brighter. As if she was running, and within that, like within two steps of her stride, three or four hours had passed, and now the sun's rising. Ah, uh, okay. Like, the yeah. entire time of day changes, and that's another glaring error that I really wish wasn't in this. Because there are very few errors, like very few errors that make you, you know, sort of take you back and think, "Oh man, that's not good." Yeah, maybe it was just they had issues filming on that day. But yeah, the end. The end does feel fairly uh, rushed. It's rushed and. It goes on too long. It feels like the cast and crew rushed its production, but that segment of the movie is just way too long of a runtime. Yeah, because the fucking the escorts save Maggie and Maggie and Steve. I will admit, both of them are freaking out because, of course, yeah. you would in that situation. Like they're both brutally injured and they're practically stranded, really. Yeah. But then you know it cuts to plot boat. So plot boat's there to rescue them straight from maximum overdrive. And to be fair, the thing between Maggie and Steve might have been improved if Maggie kept calling Steve hero. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, I reckon Steve would be the one calling Maggie hero in this film. True. To be Actually, yeah, very true. Yeah, Maggie is the go-getter. Oh my god, and then the end of the film on Fancy a Fawson. And that's when I was like... <sighs> Turning to the crude bullshit, like the pissing on the face of a corpse joke at the beginning. You know what? I feel like with Severance... I reckon that the true ending, in my opinion, is when they blow the brains of the first terrorist guy, the one that ends up basically killing everybody but those two and Richard. Yeah, because no more really, you don't know there are more until no. after that scene. So the movie could have ended there and with them walking away. And I reckon it would have been, because to be fair, we all hate Richard throughout this entire film. Like They actually make him a character that you actively dislike. Yeah, you're supposed to hate him. He's authority who doesn't know anything. You're supposed to hate him. So I would have actually liked it if they blew the brains out of the one terrorist guy. You know, they're both sort of hugging each other, whatever. They walk into the forest with the shotgun. You know, it can cut away at that point. You know, they live, they die. That's up to you. But then I'd like it if they cut on the final gag that Richard's running, he's talking shit, he's like, haha, I lived, and then he steps on the landmine and blows up. Like, that oh, would have okay. been a good gag to end on. I, I would have liked it differently. I would have liked the mine the mine scene still with Richard, but I would have liked it as an after credit scene. Yeah. So okay. I would have liked to see Richard run, land on the, like, step on the landmine, you know, think, oh shit, and not move. Oh, then the whole okay. ending sequence plays out, and then after credits, you still see Richard standing there, but it's daylight. Oh, yeah, that would have <laughs> actually like, been Guys, better. anyone? <laughs> just, just fucking stood there forever, sort of thing. And then that's when he steps off, and it takes about two or three seconds to explode. <laughs> he steps off, he's like, oh, boom. <laughs> and even then, to be fair, they could do like an aerial uh, pull-away shot. Like, uh, as, you know, we see the forest, and we just hear Richard screaming, oh, And you Hello? see Richard off to the side. Hello? And as we see the tops of the trees, he steps off, and that way, it could just uh, animate or create an explosion. And that way, you that wouldn't have the good. bad yeah. cutaway section. Yeah, that would have been good. It's one of those films that I feel, if you watch it, you'll enjoy it. It's just, it's a very amazing start into a very slow and then quick drop-off. The first, th like, what, 60% of this movie, 60-70% of this movie, is pretty much pure gold yeah there are a few crew jokes i don't appreciate i mentioned that there's a corpse who gets pissed on yeah i don't like the introduction to steve's character and i don't really enjoy the introduction to um jill 
No. Because they set her up to be some sort of justice warrior, some like PC person. There's a good gag there. It, I don't think that gag works too well with an English audience. No. And this was a European movie. It's um, a UK and German production, I believe. Yeah. And I don't think that translates well to English audiences. But it is a funny joke. It's not great. No, I agree. It's definitely not the best joke they could have done for sure. But let's end this work mandatory trip as we move on to final thoughts, starting off with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's just a fantastic film. Like, honestly, if there is bad things in this film, they're either cutting away too quickly so we don't see any glaring errors, or it's just overshadowed by the amazing characters they've got, the great storytelling... The fact that the practical effects are just really good. Like the fact that the the half a corpse they use is genuinely very detailed. And you see like intestines hanging out as they're dragging it and stuff like that. The main leads, like Tucker and Dale, are just so fun and enjoyable and lovable. You just want to follow them. You just want to see what they do daily. And Chad, as the villain, plays the villain character so perfectly. Like, it's overhyped and I think a little overacted. Like, I feel like he goes too maniacal too quickly that it's a bit sort of overplayed. Overall, I give it like an 8.5 out of 10. I love this film. Yeah, um, I'd say 8, 8.5. Like, the movie is absolutely fantastic. And if you love any type of horror movie or parody movie... This is the one. Forget Scary Movie. Forget Haunted House. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is where it's at. It is the best horror parody I've ever seen. The the character dynamics and quality of their acting is outstanding. The storytelling is really good and they use the perfect amount of gore. They don't overly ham it up like some weird B-movie thing that's just about, you know, noodles and rubbery intestine parts. No. It works. The practical effects work for exactly what they need to need to use them for there were a few dry characters like some of the side um, college characters don't really matter and those are also the ones that are killed at the very end in a big rush which does sort of put a bit of a dark mark on the movie overall just excellent job by everyone on that movie it's definitely an 8 or an 8.5 hands down on to severance so severance is if I'm honest, a film that I am extremely surprised and pleased by. The character growth of many of the characters is extremely surprising and good to see. I feel like the characters interact with each other well. Like, you have a lot more main characters that are actually as a group, Uh, whereas in Tucker and Dale you mainly focus on three. You have, like, six or seven characters here, and they're all well done, in my opinion. Not only that, but you have some amazing kills in this. Like, I still like the beheading scene. I feel like everything Gordon is a part of uses practical effects really well. So the missing foot, the fact that you get to see the carved image, Billy's bullet wound, and the fact that it is actually huge. Like, you can tell that the shotgun sprayed and killed him. The only real bad part of the film is honestly just the end in, like, the end 20, 25 minutes. Like, the minute that you get stuck with Richard, Maggie, and Steve, the film just really drops off, in my opinion. Um, Just because it feels rushed, it feels lazy, and there's just so many plot conveniences that happen, like the plot boat and being saved by the escorts. So I'd give this film a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And I think the mo- the reason why the movie falls short near the end is because the whole movie is built around that group dynamic of all the characters interacting. And as the characters get picked off, because there are now fewer of them, they don't work as well as standalone characters. Because the standalone ones are probably already dead. Um, unlike Tucker and Dale, which focuses, as you said, on a few. So the only group dynamic you need are literally between one or two characters. So it's a lot easier to contain. Um, Severance is literally the movie that makes asses out of people who assume. Because it looks like a bog-standard B-movie, you know, sort of comedy parody. Looks like it might be quite shit, quite poorly created. No, it's, it's really good. It's really good. You think the spider scare is going to cause like a big jump? No, actually, spider's actually pretty nice. Spider's a cool guy. Yeah. 
the landmine, just everything. There's so many tropes here and so many parts in the movie that try and make you assume one thing to let your guard down for something else. That is really well crafted. And quite honestly with you, I did jump once or twice during this movie and it's a comedy. Yeah. Severance is an excellent movie. Surprised to see such a movie exists. I think it's a lot better than I thought it would be, but not as good as Tucker and Dale. So I've got to stick with you and hit it with a seven. That's it for this week, and with that, the final contenders for the Battle Royale have now been introduced. In case you haven't already, make sure to vote for your favourite horror film over the past month on our polls at Fruitball Weekly on Twitter, as this will be your last week to do so as we end Season 1 of Fruitball Weekly with our Horror Battle Royale to see who gets crowned Fruitball Weekly's Slasher Star of 2020. As always... Don't forget to follow us on Spotify to catch new episodes as they air. Send any feedback, comments and any dumb shit to us at fruitballweekly at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at fruitballweekly as well as support us directly by going to anchor.fm forward slash fruitballweekly and feel free to leave a voice message for a chance to get featured in a future episode. Catch you next week. See you then. Whoop whoop.